Hello, this is Nilla Varman and you're listening to The Nilla Extract, the official show where I talk about pressing issues such as body acceptance, mental health, climate change, race and so much more, with some pretty cool music and some pretty cool guests too. Hello everyone, my name is Nilla Varman and welcome back to The Nilla Extract. Thank you so much for being here. Gosh, we're in mid-March, I want to say. Yeah, mid-March. There's already so much going on in the world. It's also Women's History Month. And um, I think it's important that we honour all the women who support each other in these extraordinary times. Now, today, hundreds of the thousands of women are fleeing the conflict in Ukraine. And increasing numbers of refugees are displaced. Um like all around the world and there are a stark number of women leaving their homes many caring for like dependents whilst i guess lacking food and water and safe shelter and it's a stark reminder that refugee crises are women's rights crises too like the past few weeks i've kind of not avoided but i haven't addressed the issue of ukraine much because i wanted to take time to educate myself attend protests make sure i'm doing the work before i you know, I guess, sit down and educate others. And I'm still not done learning. I'm still learning on how to support, how to help. I mean, I put out some resources if anyone's interested of places to donate to, etc. So please do check them out. As I said, it is still Women's History Month. And so this month we'll be honouring loads of cool women. And today I'm really, really excited. Our show is called Birth Controlled. And that's because another women's rights issue is obviously reproductive rights and abortion and we are still seeing so many bills passed at the moment that are you know restricting women from accessing safe abortions or banning them from getting an abortion altogether or you know it's against the law or you know they get arrested for it they get um, put in jail for it and it's absolutely it's crazy um, so we have the wonderful Asha Dyer on today, and she is a producer, an author, a public speaker, an advocate for all things reproductive rights, and I think she's absolutely phenomenal. It's probably one of my favourite conversations that I've ever had on the show, and not just because Asha is like a wonderfully cool person, but it's also just because it was such a captivating talk, and I learned uh, a lot from her, and I really, really hope that you guys do too, um... I'm in love with her now. She's awesome. So, yeah, just warning you for that too, because I'm gushing a lot. Um, but that's all from me this week. I've, um, you know, I really, really want to get down and deep into this episode because I think it's such an important conversation to have. Um, you know, to make sure that we normalise the topics of abortion and, you know, have those conversations with people in our family, have them with our friends, make sure that you know we hold spaces for those who are sharing their stories and yeah here I am live in my bedroom at the Nilla Extract where I'll try to challenge many socially pressing and relevant issues that aren't really talked about much and as I'm broadcasting from home please do excuse any fart noises crinkle pops and all that jazz in the background and as usual this episode will have loads of weirdness now here's a song that I always love and I'm pretty sure I've played this on the show so many times but the sun is finally out so here is put your records on enjoy gotta go to the bathroom so here's a long song three little birds 
extract thank you so much for being here how are you hi nila i'm great thank you so much for having me on today no thank you for being here as i've said for like yeah. the 30th time today i feel <laughs> it's just like Asha, thank you so much for being here um, <laughs> no but it truly is like such a pleasure to meet you i've been following your work for a while and i honestly find it like absolutely incredible i think you're someone i mean as a person of color myself it's so lovely to see someone having these conversations and people are listening and people are learning from you and that's so important and um thank you for doing what you do firstly um oh, thank you and likewise I think you've got a great platform and it's really important to have you know more South Asian voices out there really amplifying these issues so thank you oh my god Asha follows me on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um I mean speaking of inspiring women it is women's history month and I believe Mm -hmm. yesterday was international women's day um so before we start do you have like a woman who you'd like to celebrate like who do you celebrate who do you admire and why who do I fangirl over well Mm. I mean there, there are many um first I feel like I should always say my mom because she was one of the eldest of six kids in an Indian family that migrated from East Africa to the UK in the 60s. She didn't get a chance to go to college, um, you know, when she was growing up. And even when she got married, she had three kids, migrated to Australia away from her parents and family. Uh, But she always had aspirations. She tried different things, photography, um, just tried to, she worked in a bank for a while, you know, part-time. And then when my siblings and I were entering college or about to finish college ourselves, my mom went back to, went to university for the first time oh, um, in her 50s. Then she did a master's of education and she became a teacher, high school teacher. Who goes to teach in high school? Like, you're insane. <laughs> she, she got a lot of guts, man, to go teach at high school. Definitely. High and school she was is teaching, scary. Um, oh my gosh, so scary. But she was teaching ESL, English as a second language. So wow. teaching a lot of immigrant kids in Australia and she loved it. And every time I would go, you know, visit her and talk to her about, you know, how school going before she retired, she would tell me all these stories of kids sending her notes and thank you cards after they graduated. And one day we bumped into one of our ex-students at, you know, the shopping center and he was like, Mrs. Dyer. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he he was just like (laughs) so appreciative of her. And it was just so nice to see the legacy that she's lived in, in her, you know, very quiet, understated, typical Indian mom way and very inspiring (laughs) in that way. Um, but then I also have to say other women, and this is a shameless self-promotion. Um, I wrote a book and released it in March, 2020, worst timing ever. 
called <laughs> Today's Wonder Women, Everyday Superheroes Who Are Changing the World. And it's 50 women, girls and femmes um, from all different countries, all different ages, backgrounds, who are not famous. They're not necessarily wealthy, but they're just doing badass, inspiring things. And I wrote mm -hmm. this book, you know, as a way for people, especially, you know, girls and women to read and see themselves in these everyday women. And they all inspire me. You know, when I was writing this book and putting it together, I was just like, oh my gosh, I get to write about these women. This is so cool and didn't really feel like a job. So those women really, truly do inspire me. And yeah, and my mom, I mean, she's just done so many amazing things in her life and she doesn't shout about it. So <laughs> No, there we go. I Those love are my, uh, Honestly, both both uh, both contenders, both queens, including your book and yourself. <laughs> but uh, when when you when you said high school, my, my brain just went because <laughs> like I, I I taught PE uh, like um oh as gosh, a bot, like my worst subject. I mean, I really enjoy teaching PE, but I was so specific and so intent. Like I was like, please, I need a primary school. I will not go to any school where children are teenagers no <laughs> like um yeah. but my friend on the other hand got unlucky and went to the high school and described it as a nightmare <laughs> oh. so um <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah but also no I love that I haven't read your book actually yet but I I love that you did talk about it because I feel as women in our society a lot of the time we're kind of taught not to brag and boast or like just celebrate things that we've done and we've achieved yeah. so much like just as a community and as individual people and I think it's amazing that we can just go I've done this and that's okay and I want you to know about it and I'm not boasting I'm not showing off I'm just telling you what I've done so I love that yeah yeah so if you do want to show off that's great too because a lot of society is about you know, who sets the narrative and who gets to decide who is the hero and who is the disruptor. And a lot of traditionally in a lot of media spaces and the news that has been men. So now that we have the internet and social media, now is our time to shout about our achievements as much as possible. So, yeah. I love that. You've said it way better than I just said it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those who don't know your work as I do, um, you're an author, you're an educator, you're a founder of Girl Talk HQ. You're also, like, honestly, a very, very, very brilliant public speaker. Like, I've watched your stuff and it's yeah. so captivating. And um, you're also an advocate for so many socially pressing issues like female empowerment, um, just lots of stuff. Like, tell me about your journey. Like, how did you get here and why did you start talking about all this stuff? Yeah, so I didn't initially start out thinking that I wanted to be you know, this feminist and advocate for female empowerment or all of that stuff that I, all the stuff that I do now. Um, but I knew I always wanted to work in media. Um, so I had those aspirations, you know, from the time I was young and went to college, did a broadcast journalism degree and, um, you know, really kind of, oh, I started in media by having an agent and auditioning and doing all that stuff, which, you know, they don't teach you that in university. You can get all these degrees, but ultimately you have to audition really for a lot of TV roles. And I worked in kids TV. I did the Disney channel. I did other kids shows. I worked for MTV, Nickelodeon, and um, this is in Australia. Mm. And then, you know, a lot of music shows as well, pop culture entertainment, which is great. You know, when I was in my twenties and single and, you know, conquering the world. <laughs> and I lived in Sydney at the time and it was great traveling around and, it, it was it was a really great time for me to learn about the ins and outs of creating media, being on camera, but also seeing what happens behind the scenes as well, which 
um, is more important to me now than ever that, that I am working behind the scenes as well. And then I moved to the US in 2009 to further my TV career. Um, and then things kind of got a little bit derailed along the way. I got married at 24. I don't know if like that. Uh, well, for me, it wasn't the right decision, <laughs> but I did it anyway. And I should also mention that I grew up, a, you know, very conservative Christian too, uh, which um, is not as common in Indian families, but my family were Christian. Um, and so we were always taught like, wherever you go, wherever you live, just find a church family and marry someone in the church and mm. everything's going to be okay. And your whole life becomes the church. Evangelical Christianity in particular is sure. very, very big on, um, I guess I would say indoctrinating people on staying within that family and, um, you know, for better or worse, uh, or a lot of times worse, um, it becomes a way to keep them, you know, very insular. So anyway, mm. I ended up in a marriage that was abusive and not great, but because it was Christian, quote unquote, I felt like I was doing the right thing, doing God's will. And it happens yeah, to really a lot to hear of, that. Yeah. It's thank you. Um, it happens to a lot of people where they feel like there's no sex before marriage. There's no sex education. So when you want to have sex, it's like, well, then let's just get married then so we can have sex. And mm. that leads to a whole bunch of problems. No, anyway, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Got married at 24 and then ended up deciding to leave the marriage at 29, at the age of 29, um, moved out of that church moved out of the home uh you know relationship was dissolved and then at that point in my life this was about 2011 2012 in america things were at a crossroads you know social media was really beginning to grow i was kind of at a crossroads in my personal life i'd moved to new area and i started working behind the scenes um you know i had done a lot of hosting on camera presenting um but then you know when things go wrong in your personal life it, your career kind of doesn't sync up, you know, so mm. that I think that had to happen. Um, so I had to reassess, like, what am I doing in my career? So I did a lot of production jobs. I worked on America's Next Top Model for five seasons as a coordinator. What? I got to travel the world. I worked on a show called Cupcake Wars. Um, I did Ooh. all sorts of production behind the scenes <laughs> jobs and then just really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm out of this abusive marriage i'm in a new phase of my life what am i doing i'm very passionate about media um started kind of getting involved in women in film network groups um feminism groups and just learning about things that i had never really learned about before you know being in a conservative church here in los angeles where i live now they really are you know against feminism female empowerment stuff like that it's so I got to, for the first time in my life at the age of 29, 30, really define and decide who I was as a person. And I really was drawn to stories of women and other women who had been through the same shit, like going through difficult things. And so I started a blog on Tumblr at the time. So I'm like, I just want to find stories of women who have been through stuff and have triumphed and have come out on top and are sharing their lives with other people. And that kind of morphed into girltalkhq.com where mm -hmm. today it really is a place where I kind of wanted to see the stories, you know, nine or 10 years ago. And now I get to share them with other people. And it's just inspiring stories of everyday women. So making that decision to start that blog really became the catalyst for me to change, it kind of pivot my career to just being an entertainment presenter or a music presenter to, okay, I'm really going to, I guess, for lack of a better word, brand myself, quote unquote, as someone who really wants to use my media experience and my personal passion to amplify the stories of 
women and girls and really make that um, my focus. And, and every day, women and girls, not just celebrities, that's not my thing anymore, although that's, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just not my niche interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, that kind of led me to becoming a TED Talk speaker, um, to, uh, you know, being involved in all the things that I'm involved in and writing a book and making documentaries and, and really honing in on the fact that, okay, this is my passion and focus. And so, yeah, that's kind of in a roundabout way where I got to where I am today. And hopefully I didn't ramble there, but hopefully, uh, I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, not at all. Like you're incredible. Like I just wanted to put that out there. Firstly, thank you so much for sharing that difficult part of your life with me and with the people who are listening. Yeah, I, I really, really do appreciate that. I know it is hard to talk about things like that, but I think what you're doing and what you've done and how you've gotten there is just it's incredible because you've amplified so many issues that I mean I'm not that old but I'm not that young anymore I'm 21 and like (laughs) I don't know but growing up nobody that looked like me was talking about reproductive rights and talking about empowering girls from different types of communities like it's only now that I've started doing the show and I started the education platform that I'm seeing more and more people doing that and I'm just grateful that there are a bunch of kids who are now, I guess, being born. That was right. I don't know why I struggled. So I was like, being born? Um, who have who have people like you who've left so much information and so many resources and so many informational things behind that they can now grow up with that exposure. I just find that incredible. And oh, um, that makes really good that I'm <laughs> hopefully on the right path if other people are seeing it and feeling good about themselves. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, and as I said, like as a South Asian woman and as an Indian girl, I resonate with you a lot as someone who's like not grown up really in India and like kind of on this tightrope right. between this British yeah. side of myself and this South Indian side of myself. Yeah, you know, like I appreciate both and I love both and I'm proud of both. But there's also right. so many things that I'm still trying to find out. And um, yeah, I just I I love the way you talk about things. So <laughs> thank you. But um. I mean, the, the way I, I found you was a while ago when I actually just, I, I was telling you before, I watched your TED talk about reproductive rights. I mean, what yeah. made you want to start talking about that in the first place? Yeah, so I gave a TED talk in 2018 called Reframing Reproductive Rights Going Beyond Pro-Choice Versus Pro-Life. And to be clear, I'm not like the first person to think of this idea. It was really from my personal point of view and my journey mm-hmm. and you know, I definitely want to give a shout out to the people out there who have been working hard in the repro space doing this for years. Um, I'm just one uh, one voice. But for me, it was, so going back to my conservative evangelical upbringing, there was this idea that, you know, women have a certain place and gender roles are very, very set out and expected. Um, and abortion is a big no-no. Birth control is also like mm. a bit no-no, but a little bit more of a gray area. But the thing is, women in the evangelical church and conservative churches, um, which is the only religious thing that I can really speak for, are having abortions, are using birth control, are making family planning decisions that are right for them. But on the surface, it's such a different story because, you know, you had to adhere to these roles. And I never second guessed it. I never thought anything differently while I was in that environment. Mm-hmm. after I left and you know started changing my views and learning about feminism and really defining who I was as a woman in the world post church post divorce all of that um, I would you know share some articles and share my perspectives on 
social media and and so people from my old church would see that and of course publicly they'd be like oh asha you know chastising me <laughs> of you course. know just the typical eye <laughs> roll well, of response and it, of course it would make me angry and upset because you know here i am going on this amazing self-discovery journey and then you know this slap in the face reminder of like oh you're disappointing god kind of thing but privately it was a different story i had a few women reach out to me and say oh asha thank you for sharing that article i've actually had an abortion but I could never tell anyone or I've had multiple abortions, but mm. I could never tell anyone. Thank you for being supportive. And I'm thinking, hang on a second. Uh, there's a, there's something, there's a disconnect here because vocally and publicly, these people were very anti-choice or quote unquote pro-life yeah. behind the scenes. There, it was a very different story. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around, well, what makes you want to make these decisions in private, but publicly say that? And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking, really. So that was about 2015, 2016. And it really got me started on a journey researching about reproductive rights, um, abortion laws, um, you know, different trends and things like that, specifically in the United States where I'm based. And of course, 2016 was a very, very big year for Yes. Uh, I mean, it was a big year for Brexit. It was a big mm. year for the presidential election here between Trump and Hillary Clinton. And a lot of the big elections here, abortion becomes a very, very, very big issue. And so yeah. because of that, you know, there were a lot of like conservative and progressive voices talking about this issue. And I was just like taking it all in. And it really made me start to think, Abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know, going back to those stories in church that I would hear from these women in church, there are so many other factors that go into it, you know, what is your financial status, what's your cultural background and perspective, um, do you already have kids and, you know, there's so many other, do you have support system to help you raise these children uh, or do you realize, oh, this isn't just about abortion, this is about a whole ecosystem that really goes back to who has the power to say what goes on in their life and their body. And that mm -hmm. is really a gender equality issue. And so when I gave that TED talk in 2018, for me, it was about, you know, bringing my religious background into it and hopefully speaking to those people, but also to anyone that people, we don't live our lives in this binary, like, oh, I'm pro-choice or I'm just pro-life. It's, we're so complex and so many different things happen in our lives and we could say oh I firmly think this you know there was a, a girl that I knew in church who was very very anti-choice and very very vocal about it until she accidentally became pregnant out of mm -hmm. wedlock um, and she's been public about her story so I admire her for that but many haven't but you know all of a sudden something happened in her life to make her stop and realize that oh actually life isn't as black and white as what I've been taught to believe. So going for me, going beyond pro-choice and pro-life really gets down to the fact that we need to respect people for their decisions and they have the they are best placed to make the right decisions for their lives and their bodies. And no political or religious or cultural idea or law can dictate what people should do. And so that's what I, I want people to know. And you know, and you, you don't have to necessarily like what abortion is you don't have to want to have an abortion but when you it's when you go beyond that to force other people to do what you believe then it becomes a problem you know so 
that's kind of what I wanted to share and also introduce the idea of the documentary series that I've been working on for a few years and yes and what I hope to show within that Mm -hmm. so yeah no I mean I think I think that's incredible and um you know just with like abortion in general you know because of all these restrictions and restrictive laws and cultural barriers we see so many people you know going through unsafe abortions essentially and then you have you know so many maternal deaths and so many you know postpartum difficulties that nobody Mm -hmm. talks about and because they've gotten this like kind of backstreet abortion there's no resources essentially and I mean currently I'm doing my MSc and as part of it I'm looking at unsafe abortion and it's it's crazy to have a look at how many people don't even report that they've had an unsafe abortion and they just go along being infected or whatever it is it could be thrown in jail or Mm -hmm. prosecuted the doctors could be prosecuted which is why they don't help women in in a number of countries there's a lot of honor killing as well like just in certain communities like oh she had an abortion okay bye-bye like it's it's absolutely crazy and I I, Mm -hmm. um I think for me I never really thought about abortions growing up I don't even know what it was for a very long time yeah I mean (laughs) but (laughs) I don't know why that was relevant but <laughs> no one really like well I think it's up. relevant because it we don't think mm. about it until it's we realize what a big issue it is yeah. and then like oh it's or we're kind of too we're late to the party because there's all this stuff happening but better late than never I think to, to yeah I mean that. no I mean like I'm guessing you know when we had sex ed at school we were taught about contraception like oh there's a condom and there's a pill and there's a ring yeah. thing and there's Don't a get patch pregnant. but uh, yeah like oh I went to an Indian school for a little bit and I swear one of the teachers was like oh don't get pregnant sperm will fry through the air you will die whatever but <laughs> oh <laughs> it was get a pregnant, whole you thing. will die that's from Mean Girls isn't it <laughs> yes it is yeah. <laughs> no it was basically that but it was like a bunch of Indian Karens just being like do not sit next to that boy you will get pregnant I'm like Sperm does not fly through the air, hon. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, they, they didn't even mention abortion or, like, you know, what to do if you are, mm. like, trigger warning for anyone who's listening, like, sexually assaulted or right. you don't want to keep the child because of other certain issues and, like, or maybe you just don't want one. And I don't think there's any... That's you okay don't have too. to justify Exactly. Why. You do not. Absolutely be no. okay. And so I think it is so important that you're having these conversations and keeping that conversation going because there are so many people who just... I don't know they're just not introduced to it and it seems like such a mm-hmm. shameful idea and like a, such a last resort and you're doing it because all help is lost and it's a sin and there's like so right. many like I was as I said because I'm doing this MSc I was on YouTube just looking at the procedure of abortion because I didn't know much about it and um, I just stumbled on this video which was showing like a scan and what how it works and there was just like a narration in the background I didn't realize it was a very very pro what is it pro-life video oh so they yeah they're yeah. big on their propaganda I, I didn't realize like I I thought it was just like, like a scientific video so it's just going on something like oh yes they take the scalpel and they take this and then it's one of those like and the baby's limbs are torn apart and like and I was like those videos hell? are inaccurate because they're made to create an emotional response yeah. rather than share medical facts I have never seen anything like that and then afterwards I went on the BBC website and saw something on there but I was just shocked because I didn't even realize until like about five seconds in it was just very normal like the person is in the room blah 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 blah. I was just like and the limbs are torn apart and there's blood blood on your hands and I'm like 
<laughs> I looked at my boyfriend I was like this is not this is not what I was looking for because he was just listening and just looking at me like what are you watching <laughs> like it's grim <laughs> I mean no yeah and also you mentioned your documentary series and um I believe you're currently producing it right now yeah, so there's actually, there are actually two documentary projects I'm working on. One is with a British production company mm-hmm. um, that we're in development with. So it's a little bit earlier than the production stage. Um, we, it's a four-part series. Right now it's called Life at All Costs. That's the working title. And we're looking at the global movement for decriminalization and also the way that the role that the UK plays um, in a lot of global laws, you know, the UK as a superpower, what role does it have in terms of its colonial past and current uh, role with its, you know, seemingly more progressive laws? You know, the, um, the UK has this law from the 1800s called the Offences Against the Person Act, mm-hmm. which everyone should look up because it hasn't actually fully been abolished. But the 1967 Abortion Act, which is currently the law yeah. in the UK, that just sits on top of the 1800s law. So it legalizes abortion up to 24 or 26 weeks, weeks. 24 weeks, right. Mm. Um, But beyond that, there is still the threat of criminalization, of um, imprisonment for doctors and potentially women. So, you know, even though that, yeah, um, you know, and and I highly recommend people look that up. Mm. You know, BPAS talk a lot about this British Pregnancy Advisory Service. They're the largest abortion provider in the UK. Um, You know, there's a lot of education out there at, and, you know, there's definitely information about abortion laws in the UK that are progressive and, you know, really, it, it's, it's a place where people from, you know, as far as Poland are coming um, to get abortion services because of what's happening in parts of Europe and the UK really is a, a destination for a lot of people. It was in Ireland mm. um, until the law changed yeah. in Northern Ireland and uh, Malta, um, Gibraltar, where, you know, places where abortion laws are so strict, but you know, desperate women are turning to abortion funds and services where they can travel to the so UK. So they come to the UK, okay. A lot, yeah. every day. Think about that. And that's why the system is overloaded. And now with COVID, that's changed, that's gotten even worse. Uh, I can and imagine. Situation yeah. in Ukraine. Um, so, that's the, so that's the documentary I'm doing um, with a company in the UK called The Format Factory. And, you know, we're also looking at the green wave that's happening in Latin America where there's this really exciting movement to decriminalize abortions happening in Argentina, in mm-hmm. Mexico, Colombia, uh, very typically conservative Catholic nations where these amazing women's rights and feminist groups have just really, really pushed hard for this these um, abortion decriminalization laws. So that's really great to see. But then there are countries going backwards, like the US right now is poised. Oh my to- gosh, I swear it's like one step forward and then 3,000 steps back yes. every time I check. <laughs> like, come on. And it's really, mm. it's really scary to see, but it, it, we need a series that looks at this because it's easier to say like, oh yeah, I'm pro-choice or oh, I'm against abortion and then just kind of forget about it and let these groups that create propaganda videos or people who create laws just kind of take the lead and that's mm-hmm. where the danger comes. The second abortion um, documentary I'm working on it's a short film um, and it profiles three women in America who have had later abortions. So abortions later in pregnancy. Okay. And it's really showing that the, uh, the barriers that they've come up against to get the care that they need. There's often a lot of stigma around people who get abortions past 20 weeks. In America, it's less than 2%. So it's a very small amount. It's usually for medical reasons. It's usually because 
they've been told false information by um, an anti-choice crisis pregnancy center and they've been given all this misinformation. So by the time they get the care that they need, they're further along in their pregnancy. Um, and so there are three women, really amazing, heartfelt, complex, frustrating stories of getting care. And it's gonna be a lot of animated retelling of you know, their stories. Because so cool. obviously we weren't in the room when it happened. No, of course, yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna. I'm using this amazing um, animation artist from Brazil who's gonna, you know, share the share their stories and create their stories. Um, but one of the things that I really felt one of the reasons why I wanted to make these documentary series and short film is because the majority of people, and in the UK, nine in ten people identify as pro-choice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that majority of people who identify as conservative as well as labor voters, 70% of both parties believe that abortion should remain legal. However, they are not the vocal majority. The vocal majority are a very small minority of anti-choice people. You know, there are people in the Department of Health in the UK. There are anti-choice organizations who are the ones standing outside clinics. They're attending yeah. rallies. They're pushing for these laws that go against the best medical advice of people like the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and BPAS, and it's not based in medical fact. So I really want to make these documentaries to encourage people to, to be more vocal about their stance on abortion and being pro-choice. And it's not enough to just believe that everyone should have rights over their bodies. We now are at a place where we're on the precipice of really dangerous things happening. Um, to women and to children. And, and so we need to be more vocal and step out. And so I wanna hopefully educate people, shock people into what's happening in their own mm -hmm. backyard and to make people think like, how can I play a role in, in changing this? Because you know, in a lot of countries where UK laws and the colonial impact is still very present, um, unsafe abortions are the leading cause of maternal death. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's like, how do we reckon with that colonial past and our impact as a superpower in countries where you know it's still part of the commonwealth and so all of that is going to be discussed and, and analyzed and in a, in a hopefully an engaging way through individual stories and through the eyes of experts on the front lines it sounds so exciting like, like i think it's such a like it's so important to tell these stories as you, you're you, saying yeah. and i'm so excited to see it when it's out like i'm Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for more details, guys. Yeah, well, I'm just going to be working with uh, Amnesty International um, and a few other organizations. And I'm also right now, which is a bit of a production secret, I'm trying to reach out to some celebrities um, to become an executive producer, which will help me sell the series to like a Netflix or um, Channel 4 or something like that. Oh so God, that'd be sick. a couple of people on my list are like Jamila Jamil, who's of been course. very vocal about her own abortion. Um, uh, Frida Pinto is another one. And there are a few people on my list, all, all British celebrities, preferably women of colour, um, who have been very vocal about it. So stay tuned for more information and, you know, the series will be made come hell or high <laughs> No, I love that. Um, before we cut to a break, I just had like a random question for you. Is abortion yeah. free in America? Because I think it's free here, but is it, do you have to pay for it though? You do have to pay for it. Um, that's a quick answer but if you are on so we don't have a healthcare for all service like um the nhs here um, mm. there is medicare but you have to be either under the poverty line or uh, retired so there are only very very few circumstances that you can get abortion on medicare um mm. and those laws are being challenged 
right now, but generally speaking, people have to pay for it. I mean, there are abortion funds that can help you pay for it if you can't afford it here in the US, but a lot of the times it's, or you can go to a Planned Parenthood clinic and they offer services based on the sliding scale, similar to Marie Stopes mm. in the UK. Um, but generally speaking, it, it is not free. And that is because of laws designed to disproportionately impact low-income women and women of color, immigrant women. So those are currently being challenged. Yeah, no, um, I didn't I didn't know that, to be honest. And that's really, really interesting. I think, like, I was also thinking, you know, in regards to what you said about how important it is that we don't need to justify and we need to let these women, you know, like, the, um, especially with the war in Ukraine at the moment, again, trigger warning for anyone, a massive uh, war tactic that, like, we've seen with other countries <clears throat> has unfortunately to, like, you know, traffic or rape women and, like, it's led to more unsafe abortions and I just mm-hmm. I just feel like especially for people seeking asylum it should be okay if they want to do that I don't know there's so much to delve into in there yeah um, it's an intersectional issue for yeah. sure yeah I completely lost my own point there like I completely faced myself I think you were talking about you know whether it's abortion is free or not and, and a lot of the reasons why it isn't in places you know in the even in places like the UK and the US um but especially in other countries uh, where it's even more stigmatized, a lot of that has to do with the anti-abortion movement and they're yeah. pushed to stigmatize and create fear and stop pro-choice people from speaking out boldly um, about in support of abortion rights. So that's something absolutely. that we all need to you know, be more aware, be aware of. of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think this is a good time to take a little break. And uh, Asha, I asked you to pick out a song that you would like to play. Do you have one? <laughs> I do. I've really been listening to Janelle Monae's Turntables. Um, it came out in 2020, I believe. So is, um, this the, is this the infamous vagina song? Am I no, right? No, that's that? pink. No, but that's pink. I like that song. Yeah. But anyway, but, uh, yeah. Turntables kind of came out before the US election in, the 20, in 2020, but it really is, and it's very American uh, cultural-wise in the lyrics, but it's, I've been listening to a lot because the idea of, the table's about to turn she keeps going the table's about to turn it's like yeah the table's about to turn and it's about activism and inspiring change and we as people can rise up and and be part of that turning table so that's that's my jam right now love it i love janelle monet as well so turn tables by janelle monet i'll see you after the break here's another song you've been trying to forget the table about to turn the table about to turn The table about to turn Yeah uh, I've been flipping through my timeline Trying to get my mind right My city cried out I got to cool down But I'm under pressure Looking with my Crisco Look at where my fist go A renegade when I'm in a rage I got to cool down But I'm under pressure I keep my hands dirty my mind clean, got a new agenda, with a new dream I'm kicking out the old regime, liberation, elevation, education America, you a lie, but the whole world about to testify I said the whole world about to testify, and the table's about to, the, the table's about to
should do the dishes Burning down plantations, uh Ain't no parking, I don't need no validation I like sage when I'm in a rage, uh I don't need permission, I got my intuition Hands dirty, mind clean A different vision with a new dream, uh We kicking out the old regime Liberation, elevation, education I said America, use a lie back with asha and i don't know why i said that sounding so sad oh my gosh it's definitely not so like i'm still here she's still she just won't leave and it's getting kind of scary now like she won't leave she just Um, wants um, to be here here yeah so since you're just choosing to be here won't leave me alone um (laughs) as an author (laughs) do you do you feel like you know your south asian identity and you were saying how you've like migrated a lot gone all over the world has that has that shaped your writing in any way do you think I think so I've only written one book so far and there have been aspects of my story in there you know within each chapter introducing the 50 women that are featured but I think my identity as a South Asian woman who was born in in Birmingham in the UK raised in Australia living in Los Angeles my parents are from East Africa you know I think there's a lot of my identity that is still being formed and lived out Mm -hmm. Um, growing up in Australia in the 90s where grunge music was big and it was my thing I was obsessed with the band Silverchair um, at at my school in Brisbane which was very diverse we had a lot of different cultures but generally speaking in Australian media it was very white and the magazines that I would read would be all white models on the cover so I never felt represented so I was straddling this white Australian identity in you know media and pop culture and then on Sundays it was my church and religious identity and then you know maybe on Saturdays and at other points throughout the year it was my Indian identity going to weddings and family dinners and things like that so I always I never felt like I fully fit into one place it was always kind of like code switching you know what day of the week is it and where am I and who who am I showing up to be in this moment Um, So I think a lot of that has been a running theme in my life. And the more representations I see of people like myself, like even you, you know, we talked about this before, like straddling both identities and embracing both. It's, it's not about fitting in somewhere for me. I've learned it's just how do I balance them all and bring all of them to the table and allow others or give others permission to do the same who may be in the same position as me. So yeah, I think identity is just a big running theme in a lot of people like me who, you know, we have a brown skin, brown or black skin color, and we live in a 
country that has predominantly historically been uh, led or uh, run by white people and now things are thankfully changing so it's about how the how do we want to um, identify ourselves and define that identity beyond what we've been typically shown yeah no I agree and I found that so insightful because I think as you said you know like one day you're doing this and the next day you're whizzed into another part of your identity and I don't think there's like even for me like I know I'm like a South Indian Tamil person and I'm like British I'm also Mancunian I'm from Cheadle like (laughs) (laughs) wow Cheadle all of those things make you who you yeah that is Nilla it's weird because it took me a while to realize that because like in the middle I moved to Singapore and that's where I went to that random Indian school oh wow and um like when I was there because I was I don't know in my teen years I wasn't very happy in terms of like assimilating I was like always angry not angry that'll be but I, I don't know but what I mean is that I never really let myself realize that that's part of my identity I was so stuck on mm. being like oh my gosh I already have two things to balance now I have to balance this and like thousands of people asking me why my parents live in Singapore now when I I'm back in the UK and I don't know that I think a teenager like that's hard enough I know I was just I was just a, a bitch <laughs> for a bit <laughs> like Glad you could own that. I mean, I I was struggling at school. And so, like, I never really had that chance to kind of really enjoy Singapore until I came here. And then now I'm thinking, like, oh, it really shaped who I am as a person in some ways because it gave me the opportunity to travel. I got so many opportunities to try different things like food and meet people. And Mm. I didn't I didn't realize any of that when I was there. I was constantly embarrassed of myself because I wasn't able to like fit in, if that makes sense. Like I mean my brother he was a bit younger so like he kind of found it more easier to you know try local stuff and now when I go on holiday now I'm trying these things like these dishes and I'm telling him like have you ever tried this he's like yeah I tried it like years ago like where have you been (laughs) (laughs) or like I'll tell my mom like I've discovered this new thing she's like yeah we we we, we get that all the time and I was like Oh, right okay <laughs> but I was only there for like my um last few years of schooling really so I think as you said um you know there's just so much so much accepting that I'm still doing really mm. so um I don't know why I just ranted that at you <laughs> no I think that's great we, you know the more we share these stories and you know we're not we don't just fit into one box and I think no. now that's becoming more accepted the more we do share these stories that may seem outside the norm yeah no exactly and I just I think it is so important that you know like we do let people in to that because as I said I was hiding it for ages I was just telling people like massive short girls like yeah I'm from Cheadle yeah my parents are just yeah Cheadle and then and then they'd like out me and they'd be like wait why are you in Singapore in the summer holidays I'm like okay so long story but now I'm just like I don't know this is a very small example and a very irrelevant example but what I'm trying to say is that identity is hard and it's messy and like I appreciate anyone who's just sharing their story to any capacity like including yourself so that that was all I had to say (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you sharing that part (laughs) it's all good um but this is something like completely off topic to what I just said (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's moving on to this next question that I had but um when I when I was um I don't know during this course that I'm doing 
Um, it's all about babies and moms and it's women and children's health and all that jazz. But when I'm there, we've learned a lot about the mental health of partners, you know, during this whole experience. And like, I saw that you'd spoken about paternal leave, paternal leave. Yeah. And like, I'd never seen that come up before. It is very like different to what we were talking about like 10 minutes ago, but I just thought that was a really interesting concept. I mean, tell me about that. Like, why do they, why do you think they need it? I mean, other than yeah, the very, so yeah. I think paternal leave, yeah, it's not a common concept in a lot of countries, but it's becoming more, a lot of companies are now starting to realize that along with maternity leave, we should offer paternity leave too, because, you know, as gender roles are evolving, um, there is a realization that men want to spend time with their kids too. And they want mm. to have that bond in the early days and, and support their partner as well. And I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And thankfully my husband and I are both freelance. So we've both been very lucky that we've both been able to spend a lot of amount of time at home. And then, Wonderful. you know, when either of us, especially him over the last few years has been working, it's like long stretches. So, um, but he often speaks to his friends or speaks about his, male friends who have you know full-time nine to five jobs and they're away a lot and they have kids too and he says to me a lot that you know I'm so lucky because I get to spend so much time with Frankie and Zoe our kids and a lot of the other and a lot of the other guys don't I'm like yeah that that's so true and I think it's important because you know if we really want to realize a world that is more equal it's the recognition that men want to you know be around the kids more <clears throat> and to yeah. model for the kids what it looks like to have both parents at home if that is a possibility you know and if both parents if there is a, a mom and a dad in the picture um you know obviously there are different structures of family so i'm not saying there's only one type of family um but you know in in sweden for example i think they have a substantial amount of parental leave in total and dads have to take if a dad is in the picture a dad has to take a certain percentage of that which I think is great because, you know, some people say, well, why are you forcing the dads to? But I guarantee that those dads who take that parental leave don't hate it. You know, not to say it's not hard, but the fact that they get to be in it in those early days and months, which, you know, for anyone who's had a child, it is, it's like being in the trenches. It is really, really hard and it is nonstop. It doesn't stop when the sun goes down. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's continuous. And so I think it's, gender equality really is about allowing for more space for women in the workplace and in the corporate structure and in public life but also in the domestic arena it's really shifting the way we see men's role in in the home you know there are studies that yeah. show um, when boys are raised to be more uh, active in the household you know doing chores and when they see their their mum as well as their dad go into the workforce they're more likely to raise their own children to be more uh, gender equality minded and women are more likely to go out in the workforce and um, get a more equal pay or get better pay because they've been modeled a better um, concept of, of gender equality for both men and women. So I think it's, it's, it's beneficial to people all, all around and granted there, there's not a lot of physical things they, they can do like they obviously can't birth the baby or breastfeed the baby but there are so many other things that um dads can do in, in those early months and, mm -hmm. and years so it, it's beneficial and this is not to be uh not to exclude um other families at all not to exclude trans people or of course, gender yeah. non-conforming people i just want to make that disclaimer you know but 
typically for the people that will take paternity leave and parental leave, it's there's there's endless amount of studies that show it is beneficial to um, yeah. the family and the child and and it, you know it doesn't hurt the corporate structure um, at all. If anything, it kind of stays the same. That's what a lot of economic studies have shown. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you said, like families are built so differently, and I don't think a lot of the time we consider that. You know, you don't have to be like a cis white woman to be having a child like it could be anyone or like you could be adopting a child or like it's the same thing like it's scary and like people need support and as you said the connection is important and I don't think a lot of the time people consider the partner's mental health or they might develop PTSD for example after a traumatic birth or whatever it is and I think it is so important um and I I didn't know that you know more and more people are taking it now like I'd never even heard of it so I just think that's really cool. And now you'll be more aware of it. And especially with, you know, the way COVID has totally disrupted mm, the typical say, yeah. work office structure. I think that's allowed more people to realize like, yeah, I, I do want to work remotely so that I can have the best of both. Yeah. Worlds. So I think that's caused people to reassess. Um, and hopefully that'll, that mindset will continue um, to, you know, just to disrupt the typical work structure because it's you know families are important and 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 there are so many studies that show that when families are supported when parents are supported especially parents of young kids are supported they're more likely to be loyal to their company they're more likely to stay there and and it helps the company stop you know experiencing lots and lots of high turnover rates and so it, it everyone benefits when when people are looked after and supported by policies and by companies and by government as well absolutely and I I don't think I could have summarized that in a better way like I think more and more people should be talking about it and I think there are I I did a bit of research and there are some organizations talking about it more and I hope it's introduced into like even like a university setting and things like that so I think there's so much so many places they can go with it but I want to keep talking to you for like three hours but (laughs) time constraints so I'm on to my last question which is going back to a bit of reproductive rights and abortions and you know obviously I'm a student and lots of students listen students listen to this and to be honest actually screw that loads of people listen to this from all age groups so how can we kind of you know keep that conversation going and you know whether that be having that difficult conversation with your parents telling them that like yo it's not bad okay like whatever or like oh don't shame her behind her back just because she's had an abortion or whatever it is I mean how would you recommend keeping that conversation going and normalizing that abortion is something that should be up to the mum or the gender non-confirming person or whoever it concerns and nobody else yeah I think you just gave some great examples like normalizing the conversation like oh let's not judge them and a lot of it has been I think a lot of that fear and judgment and stigma exists because a lot of pro-choice people and people supportive of abortion rights have been content to stay silent and stay on the sidelines. So that has allowed the anti-choice movement to fill up all the space with everything they want to say, whether Mm -hmm. it's misconceptions, myths, (laughs) outright lies and medical stuff that is not based on medical facts. So now really is the time to speak up. And there are a number of ways you can do it. It could be as simple as sharing an article on social media or there are some there are so many great pro-choice TikTok um, influencers that are sharing great videos and in really fun, engaging ways. Um, that's a real I, I've been following a number of them. Um, they're based all over the world, in the UK, the US, in Europe. I think it's really that's a really great way to share content and and you know get people to start thinking about it. 
in families, I think, you know, you don't have to bring it up in a really awkward way, like, hey, mom, not great dinner. Um, awkward, you know about abortion. It can be as simple as like, you know, if you're talking about family members or someone you know, and something might come up, you know, one in three women in the UK will have an abortion in her lifetime. And so that is, that basically means that everybody knows and possibly loves someone who has had an abortion. And that's saying, Absolutely. I have to give credit to uh, an organization called We Testify in the in the US. They are an abortion storytelling and advocacy organization founded mm-hmm. by a woman named Renee Bracey Sherman. And her saying is, everybody loves somebody who has had an abortion. And that is the reality. Abortion is healthcare. Abortion is normal. The more we talk about it, you know that you know that feeling. The more you say a word, it becomes weird and or normal, and it just yeah. Like, like even if you say names word. a few couple more times than usual, you're just yeah. like, what? What does that mean anymore? Just like, oh yeah, that's this is so boring. I mean, mm. It's the same with abortion and saying the word abortion. You know, people sometimes say, oh, a termination or you know the a word. It's like say the yeah. word abortion. Talk about what it is, and maybe look up you know basic facts. Nine and ten people in the UK um, identify as pro-choice majority of conservative and labor party uh, voters 70 percent um believe that abortion should be legal and safe um you know one in three women in the uk will have an abortion you know these are facts that show the clear majority is in favor of safe legal and accessible abortion and abortion rights should remain a right in the uk and and unless we start speaking out things may go backward and so yeah sharing on social media having conversations um you know really thinking about the fact that abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum, it is tied to everything else. And ultimately it really comes down to gender equality. Like who who does society determine gets to have a say over their lives? Um, who gets the respect and the dignity of making the choices over their bodies, um, you know, based on do they have uh, maternity leave or paternity leave? Do they have enough funds to you know, get the medical procedures that they need? Do they come from a different country? Are they immigrants? Um, you know, all sorts of things. What's their job status? A, a lot, and in the US especially, I'm not sure about the UK statistics, but the majority of women who get abortions are mothers, mm-hmm. 60%, which tells you something, which should, you know, get your brain start to thinking like, okay, if mothers are having abortions, why is that? Could it be, you know, their job instability they already have too many children to take care of that they cannot afford another one Mm -hmm. maybe they don't have a supportive partner in the picture maybe there are mental health issues who knows there are so many things involved so i think education is important um, awareness sharing content wherever you can and, and really looking into the organizations that you share you know like you mentioned the youtube video you didn't realize until later that there wasn't anti yeah man that was a bit that was that was too much <laughs> they are very very good I at marketing and messaging no and idea targeting their ads and content yeah. um to people that you know to all sorts of all oh sorts God. of demographics they have like a fake scientist and everything like just randomly oh, pop yes, up on the they screen have, they have fake that institutes was, they have oh my God, that was crazy. they create their own studies which are not you know peer reviewed but they because they've yeah. created their own institutions they can say oh we have these studies oh my days. you know th- there's so much deception out there so i think education is really important and join campaigns when you can there are always organizations um, abortion support network at the uk are really really great donate to them they help people in the uk and all across europe access abortions in the uk abortion without uh, borders is another great um, europe and uk wide 
organization. Um, Marie Stopes, you know, donate to these abortion funds and organizations because they're helping women on the ground every day. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are just a, a few ideas and things that you can people could do in, in practical ways. And also, uh, to add one more thing, um, support politicians or candidates that are vocal about being pro-choice and hold their feet to the fire. You know, when they hold these campaign rallies or town halls or discussions or webinars, whatever it is, get to those um, events because the anti-choice people will get to those events and bring your questions and say, what are you doing to, pro to protect reproductive rights? What are you doing to ensure that people aren't gonna be harassing women outside clinics? What are those safety zones that you're gonna be enforcing? What are you gonna be doing? And you know, the more that candidates realize, oh shit, people are gonna be asking me about abortion, they're gonna start realizing that they need to do more. And so that's another really important area that we need to be more active in, in the legislative issue. Absolutely. And thank you so much for those recommendations and for like, you know, telling us about these various campaigns and organizations that we can follow. I think you made some really, really interesting points there that, you know, hopefully someone resonated with because I definitely did. And I know other people. Yeah, will. I hope so too. Yeah. I mean, I also just wanted to thank you so much because it's been such an honor talking to you. And it's, I've learned honestly so much in this conversation. Thank As I was you. saying earlier, literally, I think it's one of my favorite conversations I've had on this show. It's just because you are so open and raw about what you want to say. And like, I think that's so important and how we conduct these conversations. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. And, uh, this has been great. Have you on again at some point? Yeah, video? absolutely. Well, when my documentaries come out, I'll be happy to come back and do it again. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, farewell. Thank you. Bye, Nilla. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Nilla Extract. You can find this episode anytime you want on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all your major podcast streaming websites. You can find these in the link in my Instagram bio at the Nilla Extract, and you can just Google them too if you wanted to. A massive thank you to our wonderful guest who came onto the show today. I hope you learned something because I certainly did. And thank you to Rob for the name of today's episode. Have a nice week.